this week on Dig Me Out. With your hosts, Jason Zia and Tim Minichi. This week, Jay, we're back with another Patreon poll. This one for August of 1997. We had our Patreon subscribers pick from four different options, and they selected an album. Jay, do you want to know what those records were? Yeah, what do we, what do we, what do we have here? So the records that came out in August of 1997 that our Patreon subscribers over to patreon.com forward slash dig me out had the option to vote for. They were Tanya Donnelly's Love Songs for Underdogs. Hmm. Her first solo record after leaving uh, or belly breaking up and leaving Throwing Muses and Breeders. Uh, Stereophonics debut album Word Gets Around. Hmm. Yeah, you uh, you have that one, right? I do. I I enjoy a couple of Stereophonics records, actually. Uh, the Serp- Super Furry Animals Radiator and Sweet 75's solo-only album, which is uh, Curse Novoselic's album that he did after Nirvana. Mm-hmm. Not the Foo Fighters. Not the Foo Fighters. <laughs> so... The vote was a tie, Jay. How bad is that going to suck? Like, uh, three members of the band, one dies, two go on to do something. One does Sweet 75, the other one does Foo Fighters. Well. It's like, thank God for those Nirvana royalty checks. I wonder what he, I got to look into what he did immediately afterwards, because I feel like he went and played with some other people and then did this record. And then he like got into politics pretty hard. So. Mm. I don't know. I don't know if he's done any other music or what he's done, you know, outside of this. Um, but it was a tie, actually, Jay, between Tanya Donnelly's "Love Song for Love Songs for Underdogs" and "Sweet 75. So last uh, week, when we were recording the Harvey Danger episode, we flipped a coin, and Tanya Donnelly won. So we are reviewing. Love Songs for Underdogs. This is actually Tanya Donnelly's second appearance on the show, Jay, as we reviewed a Throwing Muses record, uh, I think two years back. Uh, I think it was a lukewarm review from both of us for that record. I don't remember that at all. (laughs) I'll have to take your word for it. Yeah, it's been at least two years. If that says anything about the record. Yeah, it it was lukewarm. It It didn't. It didn't stick uh, very, stay very highly with us, or rate very highly with us, I should say. So let's get some of the comments from people who actually did vote on this poll. Scott Witt said, I voted for Tanya. I uh, liked Belly and Muses, but I barely remember this. Tara McCook says, I always love Tanya Donnelly. Her voice is one of my favorites of the 90s. Seasons change, feelings change. That would be uh, Keith Sawyer says, she lives in my town, so I got to vote for Tanya. And then we had a few people who voted for Stereophonics. Darren, Darren Leach said Stereophonics is one of, my, is one of the best debut albums. Uh, Britpop was definitely dead when this came out. Interesting. This came out in 97. This is the same year that Be Here Now by Oasis came out. So I guess that was 
DOA, according to Darren. Patrick Testa said, I, I anticipate not being everyone's favorite around here if I say that I found all Stereophonics releases as mediocre, so I won't. And as much as I love listening to Tanya Donnelly's vocals, and I do love her voice, I think the Super Furry Animals have the only legitimate strong album of these four, but I think the Sweet 75 would be the most interesting to dissect, so this feels like a tie. Uh, yeah. And then Eric Peterson is so... Release some tension by SWV isn't an option. No, Eric, sorry. That was my fifth choice. I always go with four. SWV was my fifth choice for the poll. <laughs> we did not go with SWV. So it's Tanya Donnelly, Jay. You obviously don't remember the Throwing Muses record. You are familiar with <laughs> Belly, correct? Yes, and I'm, I'm aware she was in Throwing Muses, but I just... And she's also in the... Played the first Breeders record, I believe. I think that's correct. Um, she sings uh, Catherine Will. Yeah, Judy staring at the sun. Right. And uh, so just briefly, born in Newport, Rhode Island, I believe uh, that uh, has been in, let's see. Well, her she was in Th- Throwing Muses with her stepsister, who's Kirsten, Her- Kirsten Hirsch. That was her first band. Uh, went on to the Breeders and did the, like I mentioned, the first album, Pod. We did the Real Ramona. That was released in 91. And then uh, she formed Belly in December 91. And they released Star in uh, 93. And then King in 95. And then this followed up. Uh, the broke, band broke up in 96. And then she released this album in 97. Yeah, she's put out a variety of solo releases over the years, EPs, mostly seven inches. Um, she did uh, another couple, She did a, another solo record called Beauty Sleep in 2002, Whiskey Tango Ghosts in 2004, This Hungry Life in 2006. And then Belly is back together. Last year they started playing some shows, and they are re- currently recording. So... Look for a new Belly record soon. Jay, let's talk about Love Songs for Underdogs. Now, I actually remember when this record came out because I was a Belly fan and was looking forward to it. I don't remember it making much of an impression on me at the time. And I do remember a mutual friend of ours who nobody's going to know, so I'm not going to say their name because it would be relevant. But they were a big Tanya Donnelly Belly fan, and they were very underwhelmed by this record. So, Jay, I'm curious, were you overwhelmed, underwhelmed, or just medium-whelmed by Love Songs for Underdogs? Tell me one thing you like. I'm just going to cut to it. I was overwhelmed by this record. I thought this was uh, an outstanding record. Really? Whoa. Yeah. I, I, then the more I listen to it, the more I like it. So uh, there's so much here. Uh, her vocal is incredible. Uh, there's so many, she has so many, um, different, I guess, voices or tones and abilities. It, it's pretty remarkable. Uh, and the way that she uses it as an instrument, right? I mean, she's not just on this record, just delivering, you know, lyrics with it. I mean, she's actually using it as a, another instrument in the band at times. Mm-hmm. So, uh, and, and some of the, the melodies, I, 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 the time. Ty- I have a hard time imagining other people singing them. 
you know, right. like you start with like pretty deep alone, which I think is a genius song, which I vaguely remember at the time it came out, it sounded familiar, but I didn't appreciate it at the time as much as I do now. Right. Um, that chorus, I mean, that not a lot of people can sing that and make it sound right. <laughs> I mean, if you think mm-hmm. about other voices yeah. singing that chorus, they're going to sound ridiculous. But coming from her, it sounds amazing. the production of this record is dead on perfect uh for what she's trying to do the way the vocal is produced is really really interesting like uh if you put it on with headphones and it, it, this to me that is a good a sign of a good record when you listen to it in speakers you appreciate it from a songwriting standpoint and from a sort of like pop music aesthetic standpoint but mm-hmm. when you put on headphones then is the true test of wh- whether this is a great record and to me it 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 takes on a whole new, I guess, uh, level when you put on headphones because you hear things you don't hear in the speakers. So one example would be how her vocal is produced. There's this, I don't know, reverb on it that is makes it so present and rich but not distracting, which mm-hmm. is hard to do. And if you listen to it, some of the quiet passages, you can hear like, you can actually hear her voice before she sings. So there's like this, I don't know if it's a delay or what is going on, but you actually hear the ghost of her voice before she really delivers the line, like just faintly in the background with headphones on. There is layers of guitars on this record that just really, uh, I don't want to say, cr- I mean, I got, in a lot of ways between that, that the guitar uh, part and her vocal completely create a chorus where there otherwise wouldn't be one. Um, so like maybe the melody isn't uh, spectacular, but because of the guitar part that's being played in the way that she's singing, suddenly it becomes something special. Um, so yeah, I was, I really dug this record quite a bit. Interesting. I wasn't sure uh, which way you're going to go with this record, but um, I'm kind of in the same boat with you. I was, I was caught off guard at how much, I enjoyed this record, and I think what's really interesting about it, in terms of if I'm going to start off with one thing I like, I love how much diversity there is to the songwriting. You know, you go from a song like um, you mentioned, "Pretty Deep," which is a pretty you know pop record, pop song. Uh, it was the first single that was released for uh, the album, and then you go to a song like "Goat Girl" or swoon or acrobat where they're they're just these completely different takes you know acrobat is like this dark ballad with strings or you get like what song is it it's the one it has like this driving guitar part oh lantern just a really cool 
buzzy guitar. I don't know how to describe it exactly. I'll, I'll play a clip from the song. I've got a story. Hope you like me gory. It is much too late for them. Oh, tiger. Why so tired? I've got a good game. Yes, I'll let you win again. And then you get like a song like Breathe Around You, which I was listening to that. I was going like, this sounds like uh, the Baby Animals, that band that we reviewed, <laughs> the Australian band uh, from earlier this year. I think it was like the first or second review we did. It was kind of yeah. like, you know, 80s album oriented rock. Mm-hmm. Um, and she kind of does her take on that, like this bluesy guitar rock yeah. interpretation, which is totally unexpected from listening to her, you know, anything she's done before this. But she really tackles like so much ground and messes around with some. There's a song that's like in three four or like six eight. I didn't count the beats exactly, so I don't know. But it's a swing beat. Um, mm-hmm. And then you get a song like I think it's um, "Bum," which very much sounds like a, a, like a Throwing Muses era, you know, indie college rock kind of song with like a little bit of. It almost has like a lush. I mean, lush the band kind of feel like almost like a little shoegazy um, from the early 90s. I mean, there's just like so much ground that gets covered and her voice is so distinct and unifying that it kind of can, she can do it over any of those styles and it sounds really good. And it's because of the production keeps it, like you said, you know, there's a consistency to it. So like all the songs sort of work together because there's not, even though there's a lot of players on this, like David Lovering, Lovering, yeah, from the Pixies plays drums Stacy Jones, who would go on to play in American Hi-Fi, and he was playing in Letters Cleo and Veruca Salt. He plays drums on the record. David uh, Narcisio, who was the drummer in Throwing Muses, he plays dr- uh, drums. There's like four different people who play guitars. So, and she plays guitar. So there's a lot of players on this record, which is interesting because it sounds very consistent. 
Yeah, I didn't. I didn't. I couldn't tell. Yeah. I mean, to me, it sounds all cohesive. Now, part of that is because her voice is so present and loud, too. I mean, it's, it's her record, and that's clear in the production. Mm-hmm. So there's a little less emphasis on the band, but, man, there's some good playing on this. The, some of the bass parts in this record are incredibly strong. Uh, like I mentioned, the guitar parts. Um, I actually like how they cut in and out just in small pieces here and there to drum machine, which to me, it served a purpose of which rarely when you do that, does it serve a purpose other than to create a dynamic? That's usually why I hate it, because it's just like it's a gimmick. Mm -hmm. But on this record, it gave me context to like potentially where these songs originated. That's where my mind went to. So when you heard like. Let's see which the song that starts. There's a couple that start with a drum machine or a loopy kind of thing. Mysteries uh, of Lan- Explained is one of them. No, lan- Lantern. So when it starts off with the drum machine and then the real drums come in, you see this, I don't know, it's like a light goes on to the evolution of the song. And it's a really subtle thing, but it's like it, it gave me the sense of, oh, this is where the song began and this is what they made it into. Mm-hmm which I thought was really cool. And it's not just in the way that it's applied. That was the way I, I interpreted it. And it had some meaning in that way. And a lot of times when you hear bands do that, it's kind of like, Oh, I get it. You're trying to, you know, create dynamic and sound big by making something small, the bright light. I want to talk about that song a little bit, that high vocal line that she's doing. It, every time I hear it, it sends chills up my spine. I don't know how she's doing that or if it's really a vocal or some kind of trick or what. I think what, it's a saw. But... You know, the, the, this instrument, a saw. Is it? Cause because it sounds like her voice. Rich Gilbert, who is uh, credited with guitar, accordion, bass, and keyboards, is credited with saw Okay. on the record. So I think that's what that is. But yeah, I mean, it's, it's super cool. It sounds like... And the way a reason it works, I think, is that it sounds like the like the tone of her voice. Right. Yeah. Now, when you hear it, you're like, I don't know how any human could sing that note, uh, but yeah, it is super cool. Like it's just every time I hear it, I don't know. It just it's one of those things that just uh, gives you goosebumps. Um, and the way they use it is so effective. Um, I think the songwriting on this on this record is really smart. Um, mm-hmm. they, there's twists and turns here that you don't expect. I mean, you really have to like stay with the songs because sometimes some of these like start with um like land speed song kind of has an odd intro Mm -hmm. and this otherwise unremarkable guitar riff but by the time she puts the melodies on it and things shift in between the pre-chorus and the chorus it becomes different things and it morphs and shifts and you just i don't know even within one song you can cover ground from like a country feel to like a a 90s alt rock feel to uh just a kind of the uh belly kind of feel to it's just it covers so much ground it's sometimes in some of these songs the way it shifts and, and whatnot um there's moments I'm, I'm trying to find the song here where it sounded like um very radiohead ish so clipped there's a passage in there where it sounds like chord progression wise sounds very much like something off of okay computer and then she switches it you know, when you should get to the chorus to a completely different, you know, really strong hook. Winter is on us. Winter 
so I don't know. The more I listened to this, the more I noticed, and the more you know, it it became, um, I guess, more interesting. It was. Yeah. Now, my only criticism is that I don't feel like there is. I, I like Pretty Deep, and I understand why they picked it as a single, but it's really not a super hooky to me song. It's it's a good pop song, but it's it's none of these are feed the tree or Geppetto or any of the really poppy singles that she did with belly. They're all really good songs. They all have good melodies. They all are unique in their own way, but I don't hear like the killer. And maybe that's a good thing because the album itself is standing up where in contrast to Harvey danger last week, it had such a killer hook single that it, made the rest of the record in your mind sort of pale in comparison. Do you agree that there's not really one killer song on this record? No, I I think half of this record, I would take out all day over any of the songs you mentioned, the belly songs. Uh, I I think I know why. Uh, So like something like pretty deep, I find that incredibly melodic and hooky. Mm -hmm. The problem I think with it is that you can't sing along to it without sounding stupid <laughs> yeah I, I don't know i have a theory uh that there's something to like radio hits where uh a lot of them the majority of them like you can sing them in your car and you you don't feel silly mm-hmm. i think there's a song like the verses all day like you could deliver those which i think that there's some awesome lyrics in the verses i love how she lyrically like when she delivers a line it's it's not like forgotten. It's with purpose. Mm-hmm. So it's like she's, she creates a topic and then she follows through on the like the lines after it to actually have it have meaning and to continue the, so the whole helicopter spotlight thing. She actually like she could have just delivered that line in pretty deep about the having the spotlight to watch you. What is it? What's the line? Um, wish I could fly up in a helicopter. I shine a light. A blinding light on your escape. But the line before that kind of sets up that line. Mm-hmm. It's just like everything she's saying was set up prior and then is followed through. It's not like just grabbing catchy lines here and there and kind of chucking them in the song. It's all like stitched together and she's using like space and then connecting it. I don't know. I found the way that she puts lyrics together to even be really compelling. But so... I mean, on the pop, on the pop uh, question, I think it's just a matter of some of these songs. Yeah, maybe the the hook isn't quite as simple as as what you'd hear in a belly song, and then, you know, kind of what she's singing is not something that's either easy or comfortable to to sing along to. And I think that that has some impact on what uh, what radio hits are and are not. Yeah, and I also look at this and go, if it had maybe been released like couple years earlier like if this came out instead of that second belly record i wonder if this would have done a little bit better and not that this didn't do well i mean the album itself made like the billboard heat seekers chart at number 20 but i don't think it made like the top 200 but it was particularly it did well in like regionally like the northeast where she's from and where belly and and throwing muses had had success it did well out there but it only stayed on the charts for four weeks and Pretty Deep, the first single, peaked at number 55. And then um, The Bright Light was the second single. That made it to number 65. And um, 
that was it. So, I mean, these didn't maybe do as well as as hoped. I don't know. I don't know what the plans were at uh, Sire Warner Brothers and 4AD who released it. But to me, this screams of needing to be revisited because I know that there were people that were probably hearing this and thinking, oh, this is a little maybe tame or maybe this isn't, you know, it's it's a more mature record than what she had made before. It's the, the guitars aren't as raw and the songwriting is a little, like you said, it's a little more refined and it's a little deeper. So I can understand people maybe not connecting with it at the time, but I, I think we're both in agreement that it's worth revisiting. I just think it was also, you know, just the timing, 97, radio landscape was shifting and probably went up against some other albums that uh, did better in terms of uh, connecting with the overall audience. Yeah. I mean, to its benefit, maybe it's too smart. Maybe it's too mature. Maybe it's too, I don't know, at times complex. Like you, the songs challenge you. You're not quite sure like uh, where it's going and you kind of have to hang with it. And then you kind of see, you really see the whole thing to come together. So you know, I heard a band like, well, Catherine Wheel, you know, a lot in this record, not in terms of, well, I think like Mysteries of the Unexplained, there's some, there's some moments in that song that sound a lot like Wishville era Catherine Wheel, um, maybe a little bit of Happy Days with like the organ over the acoustics and stuff, but I'd very much put it, put this record in that type of space in that it's, it's not pop music, it's accessible, it's kind of layered and deceptively complex it's got lots of great melodies and you know mm-hmm. it, you know what i mean and that's yeah i don't know that's the kind of records i like so so were the album better ep decent single uh i'm gonna wear the album obviously um it's not perfect I, you know there's some a couple tunes here and there that i think are uh, a little bit on the weaker end but overall i was pleasantly surprised and um, really enjoy this. It's making me want to go, go visit her more recent work. You know, she's got a lot of records she's put out in the last three, four years that I'm looking forward to checking out. Yeah. I'm in agreement with you. We're the album. Uh, we're back in alignment, Jay. And, uh, I think this was a very pleasant surprise. I was not expecting to enjoy this record as much. We had a couple extra days with it based on the way our schedule worked out. So it was nice to be able to spend some more time listening to this record because uh it was a worthy one yeah i asked for more time because after first couple listens and my initial take on it was positive obviously but i kind of wanted to do a gut check i was like i'm not (laughs) i wasn't expecting to like this as much so right i need to absorb this a little bit more and make sure that i'm not like i don't know in a weird headspace (laughs) that i'm actually evaluating this correctly well, I'm glad that that worked out for you, and uh, I'm looking forward to see what uh, Tanya and the Reconstituted Belly have to offer with uh, their new record. So if you like what you heard in this review, please consider leaving us some positive feedback over at iTunes, and you can join us at patreon.com forward slash out to become a subscriber. Only a couple left at the 250 level to get a review after 12 months of subscribing. You can also join us at the $1 level to get bonus content. And that's it. For Jay, I'm Tim. We're out. We'll be back next week with another episode. Dig me out.
Thanks for listening. To support the podcast, visit www.patreon.com forward slash dig me out and become a monthly subscriber or request a review at www.digmeoutpodcast.com where you can find links to our Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram pages, as well as our merchandise store at zazzle.com. <laughs>